0: Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. I'm glad you've joined us again, and if you've been with us and you're keeping track, you know that we have made it all the way through Genesis, and we are sitting right at the the edge of Joseph's story. Um, where we ended last week, we had talked about how Joseph and his brothers had some conflict brewing, and we, we've tracked all of that and where it's come from and, and why it was what it was with the brothers. Um, and the one thing I didn't point out last week was that his dad did not, huh, Father Jacob, or who's also called Israel later in Scripture, did not help matters by making a coat of many colors. Most of you know Joseph, you know coat of many colors um, and those two stories. And so um, that was actually... Um, chapter 37. So, you know, dad wasn't helping the situation here. He's got boys from two different moms and then there's there each of them had a maid that they gave to him and he had kids with them and and so we've got this constant bantering back and forth and jostling for the love of a parent. And the thing is jacob should have understand understood how detrimental that was to brothers relationships because that had caused a huge rift between him and his brother esau So he should have understood the legacy of each parent choosing favorites um, and said, but instead he models out that same pattern, which um, just a side note, we either do one of two things with our family patterns. We either live them out in the same way or we live in contrast to them. So consistent with or in contrast. Um, and so we do one of two things. And here we've got Jacob copying the family pattern. And and to be fair a little bit here, it wasn't his fault. He wanted Rachel, and he ended up with Leah, and then he got Rachel too. Um, and so he had fallen in love with Rachel, and so that almost was <sighs> created by his uncle Laban, which ironically was his mother's brother, Um, and so that family of origin just had those deep roots in favoritism like crazy. So Jacob ends up with these two wives, and um, Rachel doesn't have children right away, and so that plays in here because when she finally does end up having children, they are the two youngest children of his whole brood of kids, and Rachel actually dies in childbirth with the youngest one. And so you can just tell that you know she, um, with that that would have removed her stigma of being barren, and so it was a huge blessing to be able to present children to your husband and to to be able to present male heirs in this time and place was a big deal, Um, and so these two children, Joseph and Benjamin, removed. Almost, I guess we could look at it like a curse. I mean, that's how they would have looked at it in that time and in that day that it, that, oh, she's born two, an heir and a spare. So, you know, it's kind of, it removed the stigma that she had carried her entire life. But you can kind of see that there's already this setup, just even in that, that Jacob would favor her two boys. Um, and that's exactly what we see happen. Um, and so with the brothers, you get this dynamic. You know, you've got um, Reuben, who's the firstborn, who has the birthright. He's got the double portion. He's got everything. Um, But then he does sings. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, and we've already talked about those. So I want to pick up in 39. And what's happened up to to chapter 39 is that um, Joseph has been put down a pit, and he's actually been sold to um, traders that are going down into Egypt. And so they have no idea what has happened to him um, and they won't know for years and years. Um, But what we see is they have to cover the fact that they're not bringing Joseph home. And so they take that coat of many colors and they put animal blood on it and send this multiple colored coat that is now covered in blood to dad. Um, and they say, look this over and see if it belongs to Joseph or not. Um, and he examines it and he you know, assumes that Joseph has been torn to bits. Um, and so that's where we end in 37. So that's just happened. Um, in the meantime, the Midianites sell Joseph in Egypt to a man named Potiphar. He is Pharaoh's officer, um, the captain of the bodyguard. And so he would have been pretty high up in um probably the channels of egypt so to speak Um, he was kind of an officer of officers so to speak he was given a whole domain under him so um okay and i think that's important walking into uh chapter 38 so um or sorry not 38 into chapter 39 chapter 38 is this little chapter of judah and tamar and you can review last podcast because I covered all of that. So heading into chapter 39, we have the story of Joseph and Potiphar's house. Um, and this particularly is the story of Potiphar's wife, um, which some of you guys know, um, probably pretty familiar with that story. It's the story where uh, Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's wife watches joseph and um this isn't you know something that happens in like six months this is a couple years and um and potiphar has given him basically control of his house because he recognizes that not only does this young man have leadership but he handles everything wonderful that he's given charge of um and um Basically, I'm going to just read chapter, verse 6 of chapter 39 so you can kind of get a picture. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, I, I, to trust somebody to that extent with everything that you're responsible for and that you possess means that you have found a man of character, lots of character. Now, the interesting thing is the next verse is (laughs) the thing that kind of causes his downfall. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And because of that, the master's wife starts going after him. And the the one thing I will tell you is that as women, sometimes we don't understand um, how much uh, we live in a culture where women go after men. Um, and so I don't think we get that, but I I have had over the years of counseling and some other things a men just talking about if they have uh preserved their chastity and those kinds of things, they've really had to fight to do it. Um, and that it's been hard because there's been lots of opportunities laid at their doors and stuff like that. So, you know, and if you think about it, we have kind of this idea that you pursue. I mean, if somebody's not noticing you, you let them know and you go after them a little bit. So, ladies, I would just really encourage you to lay it before the Lord rather than pursuing that man out of your own desires. Um, let the Lord work in the heart of the men because if you've done the pursuing, it's really hard to change that relationship so that the man's doing the leading. Um, so, in any case, they're just a thought. All right, okay, so on into this story. Um, basically, Potiphar's wife sets him up. She goes after him, and she grabs hold of him. And he, he actually does the best thing you can do in that situation, which is he drops whatever to get free, and he runs. He leaves, gets out of there as fast as he can. Um, but what ends up happening is that the wife, probably because her pride has been hit, pretty good and she's been refused um she screams and makes a big deal out of this the master comes in and probably because she's made it a big spectacle um he has to deal with joseph and he has to you know because it's kind of hard to look at the mistress of the domain (laughs) the queen of the household so to speak and call her out on it when something like a scenario like this so in any case joseph um joseph is taken and he is put in jail now you got to remember potiphar's job he was over all of the bodyguards now you got to think he's like um he's like the chief of the entire police force in the entire kingdom is kind of where he's at so you know he knows everybody so he puts him in jail and now you got to understand this is potiphar's domain um, and he, so he's put in jail, um, but I love verse 21 of 39. It says, um, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph charge all over all of the pr- prisoners who were in jail so that whatever was done there he was responsible for it the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the lord was with him and whatever he did the lord made to prosper and so i think you can guys can kind of just get a feel for Joseph's character in this now why am i spending so much time on the story of Joseph um the reason i am is because of what's going to happen next because it's the, some of the foundational pieces for later on in the old testament um okay so we get to chapter 40 this is where you get uh joseph in the first dream um and he interprets dreams um and so what happens is you have a cupbearer and a baker uh who belong to the king and they get thrown in jail Uh he the, says pharaoh becomes furious with his two officials Uh, And he puts them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, did you check that? Because he is in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. He's in Potiphar's house still in the jail that was under Potiphar's domain. So Potiphar wasn't able to keep him at the position he had, but it's not that Potiphar cast him out. Potiphar put him in a different domain where his wife couldn't touch him, basically, is I think kind of what happened. Um, and so, you know, we don't know exactly what Joseph's life looked like down there. I mean, obviously it was jail, so it can't be great. Um, but okay, so fast forward a little bit. We've got the cupbearer and the baker for the king, um, and both have dreams the same night, each man with his, a different dream. Uh, verse 6, Joseph came to them in the morning and said, um, why are you guys so down? They tell him about the dreams. Joseph interprets both. And the long story is the one that the cupbearer was restored to his office, um, but the chief baker was hanged, was hung. Sorry, use my proper grammar. Uh, He was hung. And so basically, what just happened in that chapter is that Joseph interprets those two dreams. Now, you've got to remember that this cupbearer goes back to his office at the right hand of the Pharaoh. Okay, and that's important for the next the next chapter. Chapter 41, we get Pharaoh having a dream, okay? And now this is 2 years later. So Joseph is sitting in and running the jail under para, under Potiphar's domain for 2 years past those two guys in their dreams, right? And when it happened at the end of 2 full years, Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile and it's this dream about um, cows coming out out of the river, and you know the river was the source of life for for Egypt. It was their their everything, right? Um, and so the cows come out, and they're all kind of fat and, and um, <laughs> healthy and just robust. Okay, and then um, what happens next is seven other cows come out, and they're ugly. They're gaunt. They're starving. They look sick. Um, and so he's he's obviously just horribly uh what word do I want? Just he's messed up by the dream. Um and then he goes on to have a second one. Um and it's it's ears of corn, <laughs> which is kind of weird that the sickly ears of corn that come after eat up the healthy ones. But you have kind of the same imagery where you've got um the seven coming after devouring the healthy that's before it. Anyway, Joseph hears this um because of the chief cupbearer. Uh, and he, uh, the chief cupbearer says, well, you know, Pharaoh, I know somebody who told me what my dream was, and it came true. So what about this guy? Um, and so they pull Joseph out of the prisons, um, and Pharaoh sends for him. And he's he needs to get all cleaned up, so it must not have been too nice down in there. Uh, he's shaved and given a change of clothes, and he comes before Pharaoh. And after Pharaoh has discussed his dream and kind of laid it all out, uh, for Joseph. Joseph interprets, um, and I'm going to pick up in verse, uh, verse 28 of chapter 41, and it says, um, God has shown Pharaoh, and this is him speaking, Joseph speaking, what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all of the land of Egypt, and after them will come seven years of famine, and all of the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown to the land before, um, because it will be very severe famine. Okay, so it's this idea of you're going to have seven years of robust produce. I mean, just beautiful a harvest and then you're going to have seven years of just nothing but dust okay Um, And so then he goes on, and I love this about Joseph because he shows what a man of character he is. And he says, Now let Pharaoh look for a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint an overseer in charge of the land and let him give exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all of the food in these good years um, and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority, and let them be guarded. Um, let the food become as a res- reserve in the land for seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt. Um, now, the proposal seemed very good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. And I love this because Pharaoh says, well, so can we find a man like this in whom there is such a divine spirit? So Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, and there is no one so discerning and wise as you are, because you got to remember, he's called all of his wise men, everybody in the kingdom who could have possibly told him what this dream means, and they came up with nothing. Um, and so Joseph is appointed to have this position, and he literally puts him over everything in the land of Egypt. You kind of hear a theme, right? I mean, he's done this with Potiphar. He In Potiphar, he was over everything under Potiphar's domain. Uh, the jailer in the basement, he was over everything in his domain. And so here we come to the actual Pharaoh of the land, and the Pharaoh puts him over everything. Pharaoh takes off his signet ring, puts it on his hand, clothes him, and finds garments puts a gold necklace around his neck gives him chariots to ride and proclaims that everybody's going to bow the knee in the entire land of Egypt for for Joseph and he goes on to say although I'm Pharaoh n- without your permission no one shall raise a hand or a foot in the land of Egypt then Pharaoh changes Joseph's name now you got to remember in scripture anytime anybody changes a name there's a significant reason and so he is called Zephaneth paneah and I, sorry if I butchered that. It's it's a doozy. Um, but the interesting thing is, it's probably Egyptian for he, "God speaks." He lives, um, which is an interesting. It's an interesting word choice, isn't it? Um, to be known the rest of your life for his God speaks. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, and he gives him a wife, uh, the daughter of uh, uh, one of the priests, Potiphera, and Joseph went forth. Over the land, and he, he literally, um, he's 30 years old at this point. Um, and during those seven years of plenty, he gathers and stores and builds uh, places to store grain. And yeah, and it says in verse 49 Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Um, and then we have, in comes the famine in verse 50 of chapter 41. Um, Joseph has two sons born during this time. Uh, one is, The firstborn is Manasseh, and the second one is Ephraim. Um, And the interesting thing about these is these should be sounding familiar for anybody who is familiar with Old Testament at all because Ephraim and Manasseh are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so one of the reasons why I'm covering this so specifically is so that you understand why Joseph's sons, we don't have the tribe of Joseph. We have Ephraim and Manasseh in his, his stead. And so he literally gets a double portion in Um, among the brothers Um, and so that's very important because he basically gets firstborn rights just just like Reuben would have gotten in this. Um, Okay so anyways and we'll get to that a little bit more later. Um, Okay so he has Manasseh and um, he has Ephraim. Ephraim's name means fruitfulness which I thought was kind of interesting and Manasseh is making to forget. And so in Manasseh, he said, because God made me forget all of the trouble and all of my father's household. And so you've got to understand he's still grieving home um, and he's he's had a really hard years behind him. Um, And so he's very human, just like we are. Um, And so you can see in what he names his son kind of reflects his state of healing a little bit, too. Uh, And then Ephraim, which means that fruitfulness, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction, which how perfect is that name, right? (laughs) Okay. And so their seven years of plenty had come to an end and the seven years of famine begin. And so the people of all of the earth in verse 57, it says, came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in the entire earth. Okay, so that sets the stage for chapter 42, where we go back and we see what's going on with Joseph's brothers and Jacob, um, their dad. Okay, so Jacob sees that there's grain in Egypt, and he's looking around, and he's like, all right, you guys, you got to pack it up and go down. Um, But Jacob purposely did not send Benjamin. Now, got to remember, this goes back to that favoritism. He's lost his wife, Rachel. Ben is all he has left because the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, and they're assuming and presuming he's dead. They may not have even confessed to dad that they sold him at this point. All that dad might know is he got a bloody coat of many colors. And so um, Jacob has functioned probably under the information that Joseph's dead. Okay, so... Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with all of the other brothers because he said, I'm afraid that harm will befall him. So you can kind of feel that he's keeping that last son of Rachel's really close to the, the rings of his coat. I mean, he just keep keeping him right beside him. Uh, he doesn't want to risk anything to happen, which I think tells you what he's done for the last several years. Um, but I think what happened because of Joseph being sold and their father's grief is that the brothers don't Touch that rivalry anymore. Um, and so they actually protect Ben too because they see how much it has hurt the father. Now, the interesting thing is what we can recall from this is that Reuben warned them not to sin against their brother Joseph. And so Joseph was sold while Reuben was gone. Reuben's the oldest first brother. He's responsible for the other brothers. So the other brothers went ahead and did this without him okay so he he was there when joseph was put into the pit okay and he was here there for the roughhousing and the bullying we're gonna call it what it was um he was there for some of that and by not intervening he gave permission because whatever you ignore you give permission to so he has a part in all of this but he was not a part of the decision to sell joseph um and so he was very angry with his brothers when he came back and found that that had happened while he was gone um and so, you know, his dad held him accountable for a lot of that over the years, and so he's heard that from his dad probably over and over and over again. So, picking up in chapter 42, um, the brothers go down, and it's, it's the remaining brothers. Ben stays home. I'm sorry, I call him Ben. His name is Benjamin. So, they all head down. Joseph sees that they're there and for some reason he whether he's looking for them I'm not really sure but I would imagine he would have to be looking for them or this is just a divine intervention where God allows him because you have to understand the amount of people from the entire world coming into Egypt for him to be so over top of things that he would recognize his brothers coming in is pretty incredible without God's direct intervention um, but we get down to verse 6. It's. It seems like all of the people that are sold green have to come before Joseph. Um, and so Joseph's brothers come and they bow their faces to the ground in front of him. And Joseph sees his brothers and he recognizes them, but he disguises himself and he speaks harshly. Um, and what we have proceed here may have been you know, him planning for years, how would he do it? Because remember, he's had dreams. He's had dreams of his brothers bowing before him, and now he's in a position in life where he could actually see that happening. Um, And so here it is. It's happening, and you know that he's thinking about that dream, um, but he also does not know what his brothers have done with his disappearance. He has no idea if they've been honest about it, if they've lied about it, if they are the same as they were back then, he doesn't know if they've changed. He, he has no idea what kind of men they've become in the years since he's been. So what we see him do here is rather interesting. Um, he gives his brothers a test. Um, and the first thing he does is he accuses them of being spies. Um, and they actually give out lots of information to prove that they're not spies. And so he gets a little information here from that. Um, you know, he finds out that the youngest is with dad and that the, uh, the other one is no longer alive. Okay, so but he still doesn't quite know what's happened or what's been told and all that kind of situation. Okay, so but he does find out that, you know, the, the story they've been sticking to is that he was killed. Okay, Um, but it's interesting because you see him set this up so that he can gather information without revealing who he is. Um, So he puts him in prison for three days. Now, you just have to wonder, I don't think Joseph's heart was malicious at this point. You've kind of seen in the birth of his first son that he's kind of let this go a bit, and so I don't think he's sitting in this from a position of unforgiveness or anything, but I think there's a little bit of... Uh, letting him stew for a couple of days on some things and then he brings him back in front of him and he tells them that he actually um, believes in God that he fears God Uh, and he says if you're honest men let one of your brothers be confined to your prison and the rest of you go back home and take grain and then bring that youngest brother back um and then you know if you do what i've asked you to do that verifies that you're telling me the truth um and the interesting thing here is the brother's response because uh there's kind of an acknowledgement of their sin and they say truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul and he pleaded with us now okay i gotta back up and tell you what this is okay so joseph is standing in front of them with an interpreter they don't realize that this is Joseph. They don't realize that he understands how they talk. And so all of a sudden, they get told they have to go back and bring Ben, bring Benjamin. Okay, now you know what's going to happen with these brothers. They look at each other and go, oh, oh my goodness, we can't do this. We can't do this. Um, and so they look at each other and go, now listen, we're, we're guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul. And when he pleaded with us, yet we did not listen. And therefore his distress has come upon us. And then Reuben answers. Okay, now remember Reuben's that firstborn. He's responsible. He's carried the guilt of what happened to Joseph for years, and he's carried the anger towards his brothers." Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy, but you would not listen. And now comes the reckoning for his blood. Okay, so these brothers know that the day has come to tell the truth. And they don't know it's Joseph. Uh, Verse 23 says that they have no idea that Joseph understands what they've just said. But Joseph, they see him turn away and weep. Um. So he must have just run out of the room really quick or left really fast to kind of compose himself. And when he returns to them, he speaks and he looks at Simeon and and he takes Simeon and he binds up Simeon right before their eyes. So he doesn't even give him a chance to choose which brother. He takes that second born because he's just found out what? He's just found out that Reuben was not on board with Joseph being sold. Okay, and I, I think this is pretty interesting because he doesn't hold Reuben accountable for what happens when he's not physically present, right? So I don't I could be wrong on that, but Simeon is taken, and he's put in jail. Um, Simeon would have been the next in line of the brothers okay so he orders them to fill their bags with grain he's not revealed who he is um so they're just thinking they're dealing with an egyptian official who's the all-powerful in egypt except for the pharaoh and um so they they get their grain and load it on their donkeys um, and one of them opens his sack to give donkeys some food and he sees his money in the mouth of the sack Now, he lets the other brothers know, and um, they turn, trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Okay, so they're scared to death. Now, the interesting thing is, in verse 29, they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan and told him everything that happened. All right, now listen. They didn't go back and confess that they had their money. I think that's a character thing. Because we'll see something different a little bit later. Okay, so um, they go back and they relate all of this to dad. All right. Uh, And so keep in mind, they're coming back with one less brother. They've done this before. It wasn't pretty. So they're having to repeat history here a little bit. Um, And so for Reuben, that oldest brother, he's having to explain to his father yet again why he's one brother short coming home. Um, and so there's a little bit of, I don't know what word I want, but sometimes we walk this, don't we, where we have to own up to our mistakes. Okay, so the brothers come before, and as you can guess, dad does not handle this well. We see in verse 36, he says to them, you have been bereaved me of my children joseph's no more simeon's no more and you want to take benjamin too because keep in mind after everything they've just said they have to announce to their father that we can't go back unless we take benjamin (laughs) dad's pride and joy so you can i mean you can just see what's been set up here for these poor brothers so, as you can uh, very well guess, Jacob does not take this well, okay? And he's, he does what any father would do in this moment. Um, he's very angry at his sons, and he lets them know it. Um, Reuben speaks up. And he says to his father, and this is the oldest, remember, he's bore the weight of what's happened to to Joseph. You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob says, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm befall him on the journey you're taking, You will bring my hair, my gray hair down to uh, Sheol. Basically, it'll kill me. (laughs) Okay. And so the interesting thing here is now the famine was severe in the land. So it came about that when they had finished eating all of the grain that they brought back from Egypt. Now, they brought back a whole lot, right? So we can see that Jacob doesn't deal with this until he absolutely has to. The brothers don't touch this until they absolutely have to. So they get to the point where they're starving again, trying to figure out how they're going to feed themselves, when their father says to them, go back and buy us a little food. What's being left out? Conveniently, dad's leaving out the whole part that you've got to take Benjamin with you. Um, and so, of course, Judas speaks up, and he reminds dad, the man warned us. You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, You will not see my face unless my brother your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why do you treat me so bad? Um by telling the man, you still had another brother. And th- so there's this back and forth. You can see father just fighting, just fighting, fighting, fighting. Um, and so they're, they're relaying to him. Judas trying to talk to dad and, and just say, this is what happened. This is how things kind of happened. And, you know, we didn't know and that kind of thing. So basically, Judah says to his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go so that we may live and not die. As for you and our little ones. Um, Oh, sorry, as well as you and our little ones. I will make um, myself be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for Benjamin. For if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you for forever. For if we had not delayed, we could have been there and back twice. So I think that just goes to give you the time frame to this even okay and I want you to notice this time that it's a different brother this isn't Reuben Reuben didn't get anywhere with that this is Judah um and so Judah must have been the brother that had the best relationship with dad because they wouldn't have just sent anybody after Reuben completely and utterly failed um and so they send Judah and Judah actually manages to get through to to dad um and, and you got to also remember that this is them in starving. So he's either <laughs> poor, poor dad, um, they call him Israel or Jacob, but poor dad has to send his son. And what I want you to understand is this is almost reminiscent of Abraham having to lay down the son of the promise because you know, that was to send all of his sons to Egypt. He was risking the chance that they tick off the Pharaoh or this this uh, Zephaniah guy, and and he loses all of his sons in one fell swoop. And there's, there's his supports, his, you know, the entire <laughs> next generation just wiped out. So, you know, this was very much a him releasing his sons, um, all of them, including the one that had become... We're going to say his idol. Um, now, interestingly enough, we don't have recorded him hearing God speak, the father, Jacob. We don't have any recording of him hearing the father speak through this moment. Okay? So we don't know if he's hearing from God at that point or if, if God's quiet and distant from because he's, you know, obviously has some patterns going on here i we don't really know but i just find it interesting that there's nothing recorded about him hearing the voice of god and we are going to see that before the end here but okay so moving on so he decides he's going to send them all and he blesses them before he sends them. So we've got verse 14. May God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and and evidently Dad had prepared, if we go up to verse 12, double the money in your hand, take back what had been returned before, Um, And then I want you to take down a present, and that's in verse 11, and it's uh, the best produce and products of the land. Um, So, you know, things like balms and honeys and um, aromatic gum and myrrh and pistachio nuts and almonds, things like that. So basically anything that he had that was... um, of extreme value. He was packing it to send it. Plus he was returning the money that had been sent with the boys. Cause remember the boys didn't go back to Egypt and confess that they went home with their money. So they have no idea what's greeting them when they come back. All right. I am at what I like to keep it, my 40 minute ish window of time. So I'm going to end podcast for today and you're going to have to tune in next Wednesday to find out what happened. Thanks for joining. to transitional design. Then, meander through the gardens for a large selection of house plants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. Step back in time with a stay at one of the oldest buildings in historic Berlin, Ohio, the Worthman House. This charming building has a rich history with origins dating back to as early as the mid-1800s. The newly restored two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite has hardwood floors and gorgeous chestnut trim throughout. It is also outfitted with locally made Amish furniture. It can sleep six and offers a beautiful panoramic view of Berlin's Main Street. Its location in the heart of Berlin is an ideal spot for walking to various restaurants and shops. Book your stay at the Worthman House through VRBO.